Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning, everybody. So glad to see you. Hey, can we welcome everyone joining us online? We love you. We celebrate you today. Grateful for you. So we are, our, we are continuing our series on churchology as we've been looking at the foundation of the church and, and that if we're going to be a church that Jesus is building, since he paid the price for us, since he gave his own blood for us, that we should ask him what he wants us to be and what kind of church he wants us to be. Amen? Makes a lot of sense. If he saves our lives, we should probably say, why did you save our lives? What do you want to do with us? And so we've been asking a question about what does that look like? And so last week, we looked at spiritual gifts. We spent the last several weeks looking at the person of the Holy Spirit and really leaning into that reality that we're living in the age of the Holy Spirit, that he is in us, he is of us, he is, he is around us, and he's given us gifts. Everybody say gifts. Now, I know that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are I don't want to say they're controversial. I would say this, that there are a lot of different ideas and definitions of what that looks like in the local church today. And so I want to do my best and I want us to do our best to honor what that means. And I believe that God wants to stir up the hunger of, of the Holy Spirit in us, the hunger for God to use us in supernatural ways. We're living in a day and age when you know, as well as I know, what we need in our life is not more natural. We need supernatural. We need the presence of God moving in our lives and through us. That's what we need. You need it in your family. You need it in your marriage. You need it in your church. You need it in, at your workplace. And you need it. You need to be aware that God's presence is dwelling in you and calling you to a higher place, calling you to a, to a life that is not just mediocre and natural, but it is beyond that. It is supernatural. Amen. And that's what God has for us. And we recognize that God has put a spirit in us over the last several weeks to dwell in us, for us to reflect him, for us to be used of him. That God's very own spirit that he's graciously gifted us with, that it lives in us. And, and I will say this, and this is what I've come to realize in my life, that if I want to, and I know if you want to live a life of righteousness, a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of power, it is totally dependent on the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's not within your own power. It's within his power. It's with us then submitting and surrendering to that which dwells in us. And I, as I said earlier, I'm very aware that there are many opinions about the work of the Holy Spirit in the local church. What it looks like. Where and why the gifts should be used in the church. And unfortunately, some Christians have allowed their differing opinions to divide them. And some have not. Some come to the table. I have some friends that we differ and we laugh at each other. And I still say, well, I'm still right. But that's fine. You can be wrong if you want to be. But it's okay. We're going to spend eternity in heaven and then God will scold them there. 
And they would, they would say the same thing about me. So it's, it's totally fine. But, but, I, but I recognize, and I just want you to hear my heart for a second. I recognize there are differing opinions, even within the congregation, regarding the Holy Spirit and work of the Holy Spirit. But, but I do understand that as the role of the lead pastor, I recognize and I carry the responsibility given to me by our incredible elders on how we as a church family biblically understand the work of the Holy Spirit. So I carry the responsibility with our other staff, teaching staff as well, how to explain it, how to teach it, how to lead you, and for me, how to, how to lead the staff as well when it comes to administering the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. So what is taught and how we lead is essential in the, in the midst of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us as a church. I am and I can and I do speak on behalf of our pastoral team. We are honored to serve you. We are honored to serve you as your pastor and as your team to, to, to come up under you. And we're honored to do it as unto the Lord. And because of that, and all the things that we teach and all the things that we, that we administer the work of the Holy Spirit and all the things that we create space for, we are considering everyone in our church family. Not just how does this affect this group or how does this affect that group, but how does this affect everyone? Everybody say everyone. Because that matters because we're a family. So what is the benefit of each person? That's what is on our minds. How does it, what is the benefit of the loud ones and the quiet ones? Those who are experiencing dramatic things of the spirit and those who have not. What, what about the administrative types or the prophetic types? So in the attempt of teaching and leading in the midst of the work of the Holy Spirit, there must be an understanding across the whole church family. We must understand that, that God has different gifts and different people. Then they don't all look the same. And so everything that we do is in consideration to the heart of God for us as a church family. Another thing that I, I consider and I'm very passionate about is what does this look like long-term? Meaning, as our young people become adults, and this is what I know based off of my upbringing, based off of experience I've had, based off of being part of different ministries, so many young people get turned off from the work of the Spirit, not because they don't want it, because when they were younger, they were in the midst of a lot of hype, a lot of buzzwords and cliches and emotionalism and a lot of flopping and flipping and jerking and bucking and, and, they, and they were just, they, didn't, they were trying to discern it, what was real and what was not, what was emotional. And the reality is this, if authenticity isn't a priority for the younger generation and really for me as well, I'm the same way, I, I, most people just say, no thank you then. Because nobody wants fake. So how we navigate and teach and give space for the work of the Holy Spirit now, right now, 
may affect how the next generation, your children, your grandchildren, feel about the work of the Spirit then. And that is why it's very important that the Scriptures are taught about the things of the Spirit as they are, not as I am. Did you catch that? So important that the teachings of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is taught as they are written, not as I have experienced. So that's the heart as we continue into understanding the work of the Spirit in our midst. So last week we ended by looking at what Paul said about the gifts of the Spirit. And he said this in, four, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Most people get off base as I spoke of last week because they pursue gifts and they desire love, but that's the wrong order. You're actually supposed to pursue love, get after it. Make sure that you're, you're, you're cultivating love for others and love for people, get after it and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Most people pursue gifts and think, I'll do that love thing later. Give me the gifts. And it's left a bit of a trail of broken bodies over the years. God's love for others so important for us to understand is at the heart of the use and the function of the spiritual gifts in our midst. It is, love is considerate of others. Everybody say considerate. Love actually cares about how the other person feels or thinks. You're like, that's not true, Jason. You just give the word. And, okay, how does that work in your marriage then? If, you, if, if you're in marriage, I'd laugh because I thought it, it wouldn't work good in mine. If I didn't consider what my wife thought or felt and I just acted, well, by golly, that's just who I am. I might be married, but I wouldn't have a marriage. But love considers the other person. And the spiritual gifts for believers, it's mentioned all throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 4. But the most extensive, one of the, one of the more extensive explanations and teachings of the gifts of the Spirit we have in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So today, I'm asking God to really reveal to us the heart, the foundation of the spiritual gifts. Because it is love that makes all the difference. And so we're looking at a portion of this letter today that all of us have heard it. Some of you even have it on a plaque in your house. Most of you, if you were married in a Christian marriage, most of you had this passage read at your wedding. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Now, this, this letter to 1 Corinthians was written just like that. It was a letter. It was written to the church that they received it. They would read it. They read it in its full context. And then they would send it on to the next church in the Corinth area. And they would read it and apply it as well. So that's what it was written. And so chapters and verses that are in your Bible, actually, Paul didn't say chapter 13 and continue to write. Verse 7, that's that, listen, the, the chapters and verses aren't inspired. They were added 
They were added just like a, a table of context, like a, a, a library system so you can find out verse, where it is. Oh, there it is. Boom, you can turn to it quickly. That's why it was added later. And so, but though that's helpful for that, sometimes it's not helpful because you lose the context of a particular grouping of, of scriptures because you think they're separate. No, no, they're a part of the letter. So after Paul gives this beautiful list of spiritual gifts out of 1 Corinthians 12, how each believer has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit, which are the things that we should desire, the things that we should, we should want. There's nothing wrong with that, but we forget the last line of, the, of, of that, what we would call the chapter by Paul, which then connects us to a further thought, a little deeper understanding of the gifts. And this is the last line of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. So these, these are all these gifts, they're wonderful, they're great, but I, I need to show you what it's all about. I need to show you why I just shared what I just shared. I need to show you why you, are, you, you want to use these gifts, but hang on a second. I'm going to show you from a higher place why you've been given these gifts. And so then we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the same thought, same context. And this is what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. The church that Jesus is building and the church that the Apostle Paul is shaping through his letters are people who are filled with reality of the better way, the more excellent way, and that is love. So funny, over the years, churches have been divided over gifts, haven't they? I think we missed the point. We should have been united over love. Paul is saying this is why we do what we do. We love. In the context of spiritual gifts, Paul says, listen, you can have all the spiritual gifts you can imagine. I mean, you can prophesy and boom and pop and boom and show and heal and all of that. Wow. But if you don't exhibit love towards other, others, all those gifts are worthless. They don't mean anything. So we pursue love and we desire gifts. One of the problems in the English language is we have one word for love. So we love tacos, we love mom, we love our dog. We don't love cats. You know, it's just those things. I love all the men go, hey amen. Then you got some women like, hey, knock it off. Did I just hear a meow? Did I just hear that? <laughs> Security, get that cat out of here. Okay, so... <laughs> but we have one word 
Now the Greek language, when, when this was written, had, had four words that describe love. One was storge, which is a word that's not used in the Bible, but it, it, uh, it talks about, it's about patriotic love, the love of your country. Then you have the Greek word eros, which is from, we get the word erotic, which is romantic love, passionate love. That word only appears one time in Galatians 6.14 where Paul is talking about how the world is crucified unto him. He uses this word to basically say my passionate love for the world, I'm going to crucify it with Christ. That's where he uses that word. Then the other two words are phileo, which is brotherly love and, or sibling type of love. But the highest, most perfect, mature The greatest love is the word that's used here in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's the word agape, which means unselfish, divine love. It means to make a choice to love. It's a choice of your will to love. This isn't about a person earns your love, a person check the boxes so you will love them now. It is I choose to love you. Whether I always like you or not, I choose to love you. And so God is in the business of people. For God so loved the world, for for God so agape, he so loved the world, he so chose to love the world that he sent his son. God's in the business of people. He's giving you your gifts. The Holy Spirit has given each one of us gifts that we're still in discovery, maybe what they are or how to use them, and we'll continue to grow in that. But he's given you gifts to bless people with them, to show his love to them. It's kind of like if you're with someone and you know God wants to move in their life and you want them to, to, to experience something, you want them to be blessed, you want them to, to, to just know that they're seen or loved and your heart is filled with love for them. And your heart is, you're, you're hungry to, to just, I, I just, I want to bless them. You care about them knowing how much God loves them. And you care about them knowing how much you love them. And you go, God, I, I love this person and you love this person. I wish I could bless them and demonstrate your love to them. Then God says, me too. Let's do it together. Here's a gift. Now go love them. That's the purpose of the gift. Paul in this passage takes some time to explain the value of gifts. If we don't use them to love others, there's an effect. There's something that happens. There's there's an effect of not having the right priority in our lives. Love makes all the difference. He says, if I speak in tongues of men, which is earthly, any earthly language, or of angels. Now, I've never heard angel language. Some people would say, well, that means tongues. I don't know if that's true. It could have been Paul. He was at some point heard angels speaking. I don't know. But he said, but if I don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. He's saying, I am a, I am a sound without a melody. I am a note without a composition. I'm just, eh, there it is. So number one, without love, our words push people away. 
Without love, our words push people away. So here's a question for us today. What do your words do to other people? If you were to take a, a measurement, a survey of how your words left people, would it be a good thing or would it be a bad thing? Do your words make people feel loved or do your words make people feel small? Do your words bless people or do your words annoy people? Do your words push people away or do your words open their hearts and allow them to be closer? Do your words make people anxious or do your words bring peace? Just think about it for a moment. Do your words, when you begin to speak, bring people comfort? Or do, do they bring people fear? Do your words encourage people? Or do your words discourage people? If you were to take an assessment and find out actually where you fall on whether comfort or fear or peace or anxiety, and if you were to denote that, I think at the end of that, you could look back and say, you know what? I think what motivates the words of my mouth is not love. Or you could say, yes, kind of, but the truth is we all have areas to grow. Are the words that you use, and here's a question, are they for you or do you use them to serve others? This is a big one, especially on our American culture. Are the words that you use for you or to serve and love others? When you speak to people, are they so that they can hear about you and what you think? Or do you speak to people so that they could know that God sees them and loves them and you actually care about them too? Just this week, I was, Pastor Mark and I went over and uh, met with the president of Regis University, great man, Father John over there. He's a precious man of God. And we were just meeting with him to chat with him and his context obviously is different than ours. And, and he said something to me that was super profound. I said, hey, Father John, when you, that he, he then said, please call me John. But you know, I said, when you are working with people, counseling people who've been through incredible pain, when you're working with all the diverse people at Regis University and, and, and you, you come to have a conversation with them and some are ticked off and some are broken and so, you know, just all over the board. I said, do you have some exercise, mental, spiritual exercise that you go, so that you can serve them? He said, I do, I do. He said, when, when I talk to people, he said, I immediately, he said, he, and he goes, this is what was taught to me. He said, I, I, I envision across their forehead a statement that says, I really, really need to be deeply loved. He said, if, if I recognize that, then my approach to them is to love them. 
What if we were to do that with our words? Before you speak a word to someone, ask the question, is this deeply loving them? At the heart of every person is really a question, am I really loved? Am I really loved? The issue in most marriages is, does, do they really love me? And if they think no, well, then I'll find someone else to really love me. But that's the heart. People at the heart, friends, listen, at the heart of every person, even sometimes in the church, unfortunately, is this question, does God really love me? Does he really love me? Our words should be a resounding, yes, he loves you. And our gifts should be used to prove that to them. Number two, without love, spiritual knowledge and mysteries inflate. They puff up. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I am nothing. What a strong line that is. I am nothing. So many people elevate the gift of knowledge or wisdom or understanding or revelation or this new thought, this new idea over the nature of the one who gave them the new thought and the new idea. They elevate it. I received something from God. That's how they usually say God. God. But they're not very nice. Without love, those things have no impact. Listen, if we, we want to operate in the gifts, yes, amen, absolutely. But we first need to be motivated by the right heart and the heart of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. You can be the smartest, most brilliant. You can memorize, you can quote the whole New Testament. You can walk around like a walking Bible gate, gateway, the Bible app. You can just quote scripture and man, you know it. You can answer all the, you can be the Bible answer man. Without love, it doesn't even matter. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. You can be prophetic or discerning, but if your gifting is not rooted in love, Here's the real question. Why would anyone receive anything that you have to say anyway? So Paul and the Spirit of God is, is wanting to get something down in us. And that's love. Don't elevate mysteries or knowledge over love. Number three, without love, our gift of faith is dead. Paul goes on to say, if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. I wish he'd stop saying that at the end, but that's fine. He says, I'm nothing. I believe Paul was dealing with the church here in, in Corinth that was prideful. There was a lot of pride. There was a lot of pride in the church. People were consumed with performance that they missed the whole point of the gift. 
In other words, they weren't thinking about other people. They were, they were only thinking about themselves and the use of their gift, just about themselves, just about, just about this, is, this is what I want and this is what I want to accomplish. And your gift and level of faith should never make someone else. Now, hear me today. Your gift, particularly your level of faith, should never make someone else feel condemned feel less than and feel smaller because they don't have that gift or that level of your faith. We walked through a season where people were condemning people. I dare say it because we're all sick of it, but I'll say it anyway. We started, well, I have faith, so therefore I don't wear a mask. I have faith, therefore I don't do this. Or I don't have, well then those who do, they don't have faith. And by golly, if you had faith, hey, let me just tell you something. That's not faith in love. That makes people feel small. That makes people feel less. That does not make people say, you do love me. The gift of faith to believe for something when motivated by love, when demonstrated around other people, lifts other people's faith around you, encourages them, strengthens them, lifts them to a place that they grow and they go, hey, thank you for using your gift. Not, I'm so, such a spiritual wuss compared to you. That is not the goal. Everybody say amen to that. Love is the aim. It's the goal. Essentially, Paul was saying, so, okay, so you can move mountains with your faith. Whoop-de-doo. If you don't have love, you have nothing. Faith is important, but without love, it's nothing. Number four, without love, giving is selfish. If I give all I possess, verse three, to the poor but don't have love, I am nothing. This says you can give everything away. You can give everything and still not have love. Why? Because you have given out of selfish motives. You haven't given out of the gift. You've given maybe to get, or you've given to, to be seen, or you've given to be known, or you've given to, listen, you can give out of faith. And then you receive and walk in that gift and get to see supernatural things happen. Or if you give out of the flesh and the natural, then whatever, whatever happens, that is your reward. A lot of people give for different reasons, different motives. Some people give for prestige, to be recognized, for power, to control people. Happens a lot in families. People will give to kids, adult kids, and use it to control them. You can give out of obligation. You can give out of guilt. Just because you give doesn't mean you're doing it in love. And this gift of giving is to be motivated by the love of God. In other words, it's motivated by God, I obey you when you stir this gift for me to give. Interesting enough that those who have the gift of giving, God tends to 
do something in their life where they also have the gift of generating wealth and generating, generating things in their, in, in, in their business or how, whatever happens. But God has, he's entrusted them with that because he's also given the gift of giving. There's a quote that says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Number five, without love, noble sacrifice is self-serving. Paul writes, I can give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. If I do not have love, I gain nothing. Listen, all of us can rack up a list of impressive achievements we can succeed. I can sacrifice my life for the greatest cause in the world. But without love, it doesn't matter. God is saying in this chapter, you can, you, you could be a great communicator. You can have clever ideas, knowledge that surpasses everyone, faith to believe in things that no one else has the faith to believe in. Give more than anyone else. Lay your life down for even the kingdom. But if you don't do it for the love to demonstrate to love, the love of God to others, it doesn't make a supernatural impact. And so what's the point? Paul communicates this powerful thought for us. Everything that I say. Everything that I give, everything that I do, all that I know, all these things only have a value if my motivation is love. The Bible says in Colossians 3, it says above all, above all these, put on love. Everybody say love. These things are important. All those gifts are important. Yes, absolutely, they're given to you. But for the, they're for the purpose of love and love makes all the difference. And this idea of love is for us to understand it is a choice. It's a choice to love people. Is it easy? No. But here's the cool thing. That's why you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He empowers you to love where you come up short on love. And all the weddings I do, I go through, hey, well, this is what God says for the, the man to do in the home. This is what God says for the woman to do. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. And then I say, just so you know, everything I just said sounds great. It's impossible. <laughs> I was talking to Pastor Jim about this and he goes, he, he hears one guy reads 1 Corinthians 13 and, and he says, and this is what you're, he looked to the man, this is what you're called to do for her. Good luck. <laughs> but remember, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why you have the indwelling spirit. He's the one that is your motivation. He is love. Listen, love is not love. God defines love. God is love. 
and God dwells in you and he gives you the strength to love when you come up weak. He gives you the strength for patience and kindness, which is the fruit of the Spirit. He gives you that so that you can love and serve and use your gifts for His glory to have a supernatural impact. He is the motivating love inside of you that you can step into a world of adventure. You can step into a world of being used of God. And when you leave, it isn't making someone feel weaker or less than. You are lifting them up to help them see themselves the way that God sees them. And they are worthy of his sacrifice. Therefore, we use our gifts to demonstrate his love. That's the whole heart of this. All of us, we come from a brokenness of love. The fact is this, we all could do a, a, a workshop on love because we all come from broken love examples. Dysfunctional families, all kinds of, we, we don't know how to love. We try. We're influenced by movies and blogs and Twitter and Instagram and, oh, that's love. No. And we're broken. But then the Spirit of God dwells in us that we're able to actually understand what it means to be loved by Him and then to demonstrate that love. So what does love look like? This is very, very practical. Again, the, this is impossible without the indwelling Spirit of God in your life. 1 Corinthians 13, love then. Remember, same context, the gift, same context. 13, 14, 15, same context. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Then it goes on to verse eight, it always protects. Now think about this in the context of gifts, the church, the people inside the church, outside the church, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will stop. Where there are tongues, they will be steeled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. It's important for us to know that love is the foundation of everything we do. And God defines what love is. And the scripture is clear. Now, you might be saying today, as I did this week, okay, but I try to love, but I can't. I try to demonstrate love, but I can't. I try to, to use my, my gift to those that I want to reach, but I can't. I just, there's just, there's a blockage there. Even in our own marriages, there's a, there's a, a blockage. I, I want to love them. I, I want to be patient. I, I want all these things. I, I can't. Well, 
I feel like the Holy Spirit revealed something to me regarding this aspect. The biggest blockage and hindrance to us flowing in love, which is actually the fuel of our lives. The reason why we can't love our spouses or maybe someone we have a disagreement or why I can't love the church because whatever something, the reason why I can't love somebody else or, or, or use my gift to reach them or even consider reaching someone is because of this very big thing, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Many of us don't even realize that we have unforgiveness. If you have unforgiveness towards somebody close in your life, can they tell it? Absolutely. If you have unforgiveness towards someone in your life, do you want to reach them? Do you want to show kindness to them? Do you want to show patience to them? Do you want to show? No. Unforgiveness is a blockage and has been a blockage for the church of Jesus Christ for many, many, many years. How, How do we choose love? How do we motivate? How are we motivated by love? Well, first, we need to recognize that we need to forgive some people who have hurt us. And while we just take a moment here, if someone could come out on the keys, I just really want us just to take a moment. It starts by us forgiving those who you hold something against. Now listen, you will never reach, hear me today, you will never reach someone you hold unforgiveness towards. You'll never reach them. How are we going to reach a hurting, dying world if we have so much unforgiveness towards them, if we hold an offense against them? We have unforgiveness towards people of a political, certain political party or leaning. We want God to do something, but by golly, I'm not. We hold unforgiveness towards people who are propagating sexual perversion, part of certain groups. How are we ever going to reach people and use our gifts in the capacity that God's called us if we have unforgiveness towards people, now hear me today, that aren't like us? We have unforgiveness towards people who support certain movements. And in those movements, they are destructive. What do we do? Boy, we just turn our heart. We're against them. Well, they laid their own bed. They're going to sleep in it now. We want to love our spouses, but we are, we are so, we are carrying so much unforgiveness. Everything we process is through pain and disappointment and frustration and everything. We have unforgiveness for leaders in our community that enact mandates that we don't agree with. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. But we can't hold unforgiveness towards them. Or God won't use us to reach them. One of the reasons the church has become ineffective on the earth in power and anointing and, and miracles and words of knowledge and prophecy and whatever that may be is because we hold unforgiveness towards those God has called us to reach. Jesus said this crazy thing. You should pray for those who persecute you. Forgive them, release them. Say, God, forgive me for holding unforgiveness. Might be you have unforgiveness for a certain generation. Somebody hurts you in that generation. Fine, I'll just write the whole generation off. You're never going to use your gift. You're never going to demonstrate God's love to them. You have unforgiveness maybe towards Men, because of what's happened in your past. Or unforgiveness towards women, because of what's happened at some point. Unforgiveness towards groups of people that push agendas that are anti-biblical. You write them off. Forget it. God can love them. I'm not. This matters. This matters. The reason your marriage isn't what you want it to be is because you were holding unforgiveness towards that spouse. The reason why we're not seeing the impact of the church on the earth today is because we are holding those who are not like us hostage with our unforgiveness to them. We won't reach those that we choose not to forgive. Have, they, have there been things done that, were, that was a vice? Yes, yes. I forgive you. Are they trying to push agendas into our kids? Or, yes, yes, they are. But I forgive you. I'll never forget. And it doesn't matter what your political leaning is. The last election, Joe Biden was sworn in. I posted, hey, I'm committed to pray for it. President Joe Biden, every day for this clarity that God would put godly people around and boom, 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 boom. Christian comes through. Does that mean you're going to pray for the, for the advancement of all the agendas that are anti-biblical? I don't think that's what I said. And you know what the response is? Well, good luck with that. Where'd that come from? Unforgiveness. Something, something about it. They didn't like it. Fine. Imagine, imagine you, we are asserting ourselves into the seat of judgment over humankind because they don't look like us. And so we justify, it's okay. I don't have to pray for them. I've written them off. I don't have to forgive them. They're going to hell anyway. I don't have to use my gifts. I don't like them anyway, but I'll use them for people I do like. Well, isn't that nice? And what we're saying is then I'm just like the world. Friends, we are not called to be like the world. We're called to be different. We're called to love those who don't look like us. We're called to use our gifts and our love to serve those, to demonstrate God's love to those. We, you do not hold the authority to cast judgment over someone that isn't like you, that doesn't know God like you. That is not your place. And to do so is a very scary place to be. 
But you know what we do have the authority to do? To heal the sick. To cast out devils. To heal broken hearts. To administer the peace and the hope of Jesus Christ to the lost, hurting, broken world. We do have that authority. And if we walk in that, it's going to be a lot of fun. And our hearts will be at peace as we partner with the Holy Spirit that's in us to continue the work of the Spirit on the earth. Then we will see the manifestation of the gifts in our midst if we first understand love. If we first forgive those who have violated Rights, freedoms, beliefs, yeah. Did you know that Jesus died for you while you were yet a nasty sinner? Here's the question. Can you love those where they are right now today? Can you Ask God to forgive you for your unforgiveness. And can you forgive people who aren't like you so that you can reach people so that they can become a part of your family? That's what God's asking. Let's pray. Father, today we commit this to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you've challenged us deeply today many areas of our lives, but particular, Holy Spirit, I I know you want to set some people free from the spirit of unforgiveness. Lord, we make a commitment today, and if this is you, just, just come into agreement with what I'm praying. Lord, we make a commitment today that I will no longer justify my behavior and my attitude based off of someone else's. Forgive me for holding unforgiveness towards that person, towards that group, towards those people. Lord, forgive me. I ask you to remove, Holy Spirit, remove the roadblock of unforgiveness so that I can enjoy the beauty of what it means to love. Unconditionally, agape, a choice. Lord, may we as a church make a decision today that we will not keep those who aren't like us at arm's length because we don't like something. Forgive us for forgetting the purpose of the gifts, the purpose of the cross, the purpose of the church, and the purpose of why you saved us. May you open our eyes and soften our hearts to love those who need your love. And may we use the gifts you've given us as the most excellent way to demonstrate your power to those around us. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus. 
And I know if I was to die that I have not come into alignment with what, I'm, what you're sensing right now in your heart. You know right now that you were meant to be a child of God. And nobody's looking around. If you would just like to respond to that and lift your hand out of faith to say, I want to come into alignment. I want to agree with what I sense in my heart right now that God saved me and he's calling me. If you want to give your life to him today, just raise your hand right where you are. Just lift it up right where you are. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else, you can just lift your hand up. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. A prayer of commitment. A prayer of surrender. And let's all pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I receive your forgiveness today. I give you my life. I surrender all that I am to you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead. And thank you for convicting me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand today? If you gave your life to Jesus, we'd love to help you on the journey. Right in front of you is a connect card. You can fill that out and drop it in the white buckets when you leave today. Let's all stand to our feet. Friends, since this is Thanksgiving week still, I'm thankful for you. And I continue to be thankful for what God's doing in our midst and in your life. If you can, just lift your hands to the Lord just to receive from him today. Father, in the name of Jesus, anoint us fresh and new with your spirit. That we can leave here understanding that we're called to love those around us. May you today heal our hearts, heal our minds as we begin this journey of allowing you to move in our lives so that you can move through our lives through the gifts of the Spirit. Bless us, anoint us, strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.